0: Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story Podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the Martech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. Each week, the Martech Podcast tells the stories of world-class marketers who use technology to create lasting success with their businesses and careers. If any of these topics sound interesting to you, I want you to go check out the MarTech podcast, how science is changing advertising, how to set up a CRM so you actually use it, private equity's take on digital transformation, why big social is focused on newsletters. If these are topics that resonate with you, go listen to the MarTech podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Or you can go to HubSpot.com slash podcast network and listen to it there. Today, you are going to be hearing me on the Better Call Daddy Show, hosted by Rena Friedman Watts. We're going to speak about what it takes to be successful. Again, this is me on the Better Call Daddy Show, hosted by Rena Friedman Watts. Welcome to the Better
1: Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not gonna believe this.
0: Oh, oh my, my God.
1: God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. Uh-huh. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy.
2: Yeah. It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming
1: from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today, we have the host of the Success Story podcast, Scott D. Clary. He is going to teach us how not to quit and how to incorporate creativity into your own brand. Scott, welcome. How did you and your girlfriend meet?
0: DM'd her on Instagram, actually. It wasn't that it wasn't that crazy a story. I just asked her out.
1: You're like, I love your personal brand. I want to start a personal brand because of you. Let's go out.
0: I found her on a dating app. I can't remember which one. And she had her Instagram on her dating app. And of course, me just assuming that, like, you know, I don't want to wait. I'm going to go straight to the source and just like, if I get shut down, I get turned down, I get turned down. It is what it is. So I just, I just DM'd her and she's like, yeah, let's go for dinner.
1: Okay, so I love how that totally plays into like your sales and marketing branding strategy because-
0: Oh yeah, I guess sometimes I just go after things, you know, I go after things that I want, but that's that's just the personality thing.
1: No, but you're like, you know, your LinkedIn needs to play into your website, needs to play into your landing page, inbound and outbound, it all, it all has to tie together. You're like, founder on a dating app. Stalked her on Instagram.
0: First of all, it's not stalking if she puts her Instagram in her bio on the dating app. That's not fair. That's not fair. I think that that was she was asking people to go and check out the Instagram. But uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's part of the the sales strategy when you tie in all the different social assets and you find out you know and you try and personalize your outreach. It's a little bit nerdy to think of my dating life as like my sales strategy, but I guess you know. It is what it is.
1: Oh my God. That's awesome. Yeah. So talk about how she has played into you developing your podcast and developing Mm -hmm. your brand.
0: So she's a co-founder of the company. My therapist says they started off as an Instagram account, just friends posting memes and whatnot. They grew an audience. They started having advertisers reach out to them to tap into the audience and they built a whole marketing company based off of this Instagram account. And this, this was the brand. So that's obviously like, you know, very, very inspiring to see somebody because, you know, you, not everybody is directly connected to somebody who's monetized their social media following and turned it into a company. I was basically just trying to figure out how do I take that concept of building an audience or building a community and monetizing it? And how do I turn it into something that I can use for stuff that I talk about? My backgrounds in sales and in marketing. It's, it's tough to build an audience on Instagram around people that care about sales and marketing. So I was trying to think of different content strategies and different things that I could do to really build an audience. And the two things that sort of came to mind were LinkedIn, because that seems to be the audience that cares about sales and marketing content. The other format that I thought would be a good format to tap into was podcasting. I also know that if you want to create a community, you want to put your own name out there and you want to put your own brand out there, but not everybody always cares about you day one either. So how do people care about you? How do people care about your content? Well, it's about teaching them and providing value. That's always the way it's been. It's it's always the way it ever will be. If you want to have a strong social presence or if you want to have a strong brand, you don't talk about your product, you teach people. And you provide value and value can come in a variety of ways, right? It can be educational, it can be humor, it can be leisure, whatever it is. But my value is, I can be funny sometimes, but my background is less in memes and more in like tactical strategy. So how do you teach that over? I can talk about it. But I also think that there's some merit in providing a platform where they can learn it from not only you, but from a lot of other incredibly smart people and individuals that have accomplished it before that maybe have a little bit more notoriety, a little bit more fame, have some more accolades behind their name. So the goal was to build an audience around my name, but also to create content that unpacked the playbooks of other people that were really successful and could provide insights and lessons and learnings that I didn't know, I didn't know about, right? And that's really where the podcast and the interview style podcast started. So I wanted to bring in some life lessons from people that built incredible careers not just in the traditional roles that I was first bringing onto the show. And that's when I turned the show into what it is now, which is success story. And that is really meant to unpack playbooks of people that have achieved incredible things. So there's going to be personal lessons. There's going to be professional lessons. There's going to be, you know, wins and losses and highs and lows. There's going to be all that stuff that's going to show you the general traits and as well as some tactical strategies that it, takes to get to what success is in respective fields. And I'm hoping that you can draw out some lessons from those people and apply it to your own life. And that was really the goal for the podcast. And that's sort of how it's grown over the years. That was basically my content marketing strategy for my own brand.
1: Do you think you could do it all over again from nothing?
0: Easily. Yeah. Well, mostly because I'm young, so it's not that hard. I have, lots of, I have time and I really do believe that to say that I could do it all over again and be so confident in that is not to come across as pretentious. It's to be realistic in the sense that if you commit X amount of time to anything, you will be successful at it. If you commit five years or 10 years to anything, the things that you uncover during that five or 10 year journey, the thing that is at the end of that 10 year journey is not going to be the exact same thing as what you started on day one. But it'll be some iteration, and there'll be lots of lessons, and you will be successful at it if you don't quit. And I'm a firm believer in that. And I've never seen somebody that's done something day in, day out, shown up every single day for 10 years and not achieve some measure of success in that thing that they're trying to do. That's a, that's a rarity. It, it's more rare to not be successful. Most of why people fail is because they quit, they burn out, they give up. If you learn from people that have built things out before, you'll realize that if you're smart about starting something, you pace yourself, you set up systems and processes so that you can be successful. You perhaps figure out ways to do something without jeopardizing your life or your lifestyle in terms of you know, your financial commitments. And I think that if you're smart about it and you maintain this for long enough, uh, you will be successful at whatever it is you're trying to do.
1: Speaking of side hustles, You had one and grew it to over 100K, isn't that right?
0: Yeah. So now the podcast and I also write a newsletter. So the podcast and the newsletter make over 100K and it's all in ad dollars right now. So it's advertising revenue. And that was just through building the audience. And that's the model that I saw from my girlfriend. I saw her do it with my therapist says. And that's something that I've done as well. If you, build it, if you build the audience, there will be somebody that wants to take their product and to tap into that audience. And they'll pay you to do that. I'm a firm believer that everybody should build some sort of audience or some sort of community. And even if you don't need to tap into it day one, you should start building a community around what you enjoy doing so that you can leverage that in the future for something. If you want to expose that to an advertiser, if you want to start a new project, if you want to start a company, if you want to write a newsletter, post a podcast, you will have a community there that is a fan of you. And whatever you launch against that community, you will have immediate exposure to basically a group of fans that like your content, like who you are, and want to consume more of what you create. And that's why I think that everybody should be building out their own personal brand on social media.
1: How has that been received in your nine to five?
0: Fortunately, very, very positively. I don't think that's the case for everybody that does this. I know people that have been fired for building out a personal brand. Selfishly, I wouldn't work for a company that doesn't want me to do it. Because for me, I know that long-term, the personal brand will have more value in my life than a company can ever offer. A company can let me go tomorrow and not care, and they'll replace me. Personal brand is with you forever. Now, I would also make the argument that I use my personal brand for my company. So I get invited to podcasts. I get links to my LinkedIn that's displaying my company where I'm working. I get conversations with decision makers all the time because of my brand. I get asked to speak at conferences about things that I'm doing in my nine to five. And all of that benefits the company. I definitely have a little bit of luck because what I speak about is sales and marketing which is what I do in my nine to five anyways. Now, if I was doing something like an off-color humor account on Instagram, maybe they'd have a little bit more issue with it or like a highly politicized podcast or something. I'm not saying that that's easy to do and you have to be, you know, again, you don't bite the hand that feeds you ever. But for me, if I'm building something professional and I believe in it, and I think that it adds value to myself as an individual, as well as my company, I don't think you should ever have a problem doing doing it. And I also don't think the company should have a problem with you doing it. I think that's the future of, of marketing is to have people within companies that do have strong, positive personal brands. And I see that companies that are really leading the way all have evangelists, all have people that speak quite openly in public about what companies are doing. You look at Salesforce, you look at one company that does this quite well is gong.io. All those companies, they have very vocal employees that are building their own personal brands.
1: Have you encouraged anyone to start a podcast?
0: Yeah, a lot. Not many people do it though. So right now in my nine to five, and this is something that we should provide a little bit of context, for people that are listening. So everything that I do in my side hustle, I make some money in the side hustle as we discussed, but I still work full-time. So I still lead a sales and marketing team. I'm a big fan of, of social selling, meaning that in an outbound sales sequence, you or when you're ever selling to anybody, you're going to be setting up campaigns that are going to be emailing people, calling people. And then the third is usually just sending the messages on LinkedIn. That's like a traditional outbound sales. What you should be doing is you should be posting content about what your product or service is. You should be speaking publicly about your industry and you should be Promoting and talking about content that's teaching, educating, helping people that could be your potential buyers. So it's not just adding on LinkedIn. That's not social selling. That's just reaching out to people on LinkedIn. I think the other bonus piece of that is to be building your own brand so that when people see your message from LinkedIn, they're checking out your LinkedIn profile, they're seeing who you are, they're consuming your content, you're building a level of trust with that person before they even speak with you. I think that that's what social selling is. And that's what I always, always, always recommend people do as a sales rep, as a marketer. I think that everybody in your company should do it, but very few people are comfortable doing it. So I've encouraged it with everybody who I've worked with, but I think that it would only help people in their job if they did it more, because I think that it allows your customer to have a level of trust, like I mentioned before with you, before they even jump on a call with you, which I think is, that's something that's hard to achieve, but I think it's important.
1: Have you made deals through your podcast?
0: Yeah, I have. It's mostly just because I used to interview sales and marketing leaders. Like it was just basically, the podcast didn't mean to function as a sales tool, but it, you know, when you do these podcasts, like in the in the couple of minutes before you hit record or after, you just start riffing about what you do. Especially when you've spoken to this person for an hour already or whatever. Now you've sort of gotten to a level where you're like, you're trusting each other. Like you, you've now spoken to each other in real life for about an hour. So now you're just casually talking. Now you've already broken down any walls, any, you know, psychological barriers that that person would have. And it just, whenever I speak about what I do, sometimes that's a solution. Like we were selling streaming software and some other software that helped companies basically engage with their audiences over live broadcast and live streamings, like pulling in audience engagement and whatnot. And some people need that. So when you start talking about what you do in your nine to five, yeah, sometimes you're like, yeah, I'll check that out. And that's actually, lead, that's led to some deals, but that's not been the objective. But I mean, it just so happens when you're speaking with all the people that would potentially buy your software and you have a great rapport with them after the hour long podcast or conversation. Yeah. Some of them do want to buy your stuff. Do
1: you have on people that have big followings just to up your numbers?
0: I think that that's pretty normal. I think that you do look for people that have a following because that's a really strong podcast marketing play. So yes, you look for people that have larger followings. I still want them to be able to teach something in the show. So there's times when there's people with large followings, and I usually try and do like a a little bit of a pre-screen or just like a back and forth, either a call or an email, and they're not a good fit for the show and I've kept them off. It's not all about exposure. There's enough people that have great stories to tell or things to teach that do have audiences. So I think that it's a mix of trying to find people that fit what I'm trying to bring out in a guest on the show for my audience, combined with the fact that they have reach. Don't look at somebody that has a couple million followers and say, oh, I'd really, really like to get them on because that's an easy way to grow a show. But you still have to try and maintain some integrity in, in the content you produce. And I think that as you mature in creating a show, you you start to define boundaries of what you want a little bit better. I think when you first start off, you do have that. I guess you're like you're hungry for those like big guests, and you and you take on people that potentially you shouldn't take on to the show. And some I've I've recorded episodes that aren't as great as I wanted them to be, or the guests were too, for example, the biggest pet peeve I have is when people are too self-promotional. I'm not talking about you dropping your product or whatever, your book at like one point, but I mean like when all you're doing is you're just so there's been guests on my show that have had books, for example, and there's been a couple times when all they're talking about is just the book. And I'm like, but like, let's talk about like other stuff that you've done in your life, because people don't care about just the thing that you're working on now. They want to learn from you. They want to learn how you got to where you're at. Nobody cares about me. As ruthless as this sounds, people just care what I can do for them. If you want your content to be great, it has to be teaching somebody something. And if you're teaching somebody something and make it so that it's easy to consume and easy to action.
1: Have you stretched at all the theme of your podcast, like had people outside of sales and marketing?
0: So I did that on purpose. Me, as somebody who's worked in sales and marketing, when I listen to podcasts, I don't just listen to sales and marketing leaders. I like to learn from other people. So I like to learn from executives in other industries. I like to learn from people who have succeeded in finance or entrepreneurship, even like, uh, you know, a big category that I love to learn from is like athletic coaches because they have a lot of lessons around teamwork. Like that's not a sales and marketing individual. You can be damn sure they have a lot of lessons that you could apply to your life. And I think that that's actually what makes them more well-rounded professional if they do have multiple sources of of learning.
1: One thing I heard you talk about too is that you come from like a law enforcement slash law, Mm. background, family. What have you learned from that?
0: I guess in career lessons, I've learned that outside of government, I feel like there is no difference in the amount of risk for working for a private industry versus working for your own business and starting your own business. I think the government is relatively safe and very secure, but I feel like the government jobs where you have a pension and you have security and you have all this time off and sick leave, I feel like that's not the norm for many employers in 2021. So I feel like a lot of people have this false sense of security when they're working for a company when they could be let go or furloughed tomorrow. Only because my father and my, you know, my grandfather, uncle, like you, you said it, they were all law enforcement, and they all had very stable careers, very safe careers. And they were always well taken care of with pensions and whatnot. But I don't think that's the norm for most people. And I think that less and less companies are allowing that safe environment for employees. And I think that that's why you have to be a very multifaceted individual that is comfortable making moves every few years to continue to grow, learn, make more money, advance. I think that's something that is more the norm now than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. And I think that fewer and fewer companies are offering the security that a government job would. So, you know, to dovetail from that, because fewer and fewer companies are offering that job security, I think it's important for people to, this is again, bringing it back to personal brand, building something that they can take with them after the company lets them go. And that's in my mind, what a personal brand is. A personal brand may not be used to start a podcast, The personal brand may not be used to build an audience to, you know, you want to write a newsletter and get ad space for that newsletter. But if you have a strong personal brand, for example, how many more people are you connected to that can offer you a job? How many hiring individuals have seen your content? And the second you put out a post saying, hey, you know, I was just furloughed. How many people are going to reach out to you saying, I have a potential opportunity for you because you put yourself out there again and again. I still get job opportunities on LinkedIn and I'm not looking for jobs all the time even if you don't want to build a podcast, you don't care about having hundreds of thousands of followers, even building a personal brand where you put out content on some sort of regular cadence will give you more opportunity.
1: What did your family think of your career trajectory?
0: They were all very supportive. I definitely like an ugly duckling because the whole family is in government. So working in tech, It's a little bit outside the norm. And it was more just like, are you happy? Really? Are you happy? Are you, you know, like, you know, are you making, are you making okay money? Are you happy? And they never really worried about me. Mostly because I just figured stuff out. If I wanted to do something, I would find the pathway to do it, you know, reverse engineer the steps that it took to get there and figure it out. And I've always been like that. So they were never really worried about me.
1: Yeah. I heard you say that you define success as freedom.
0: I think many people do. I think that's the most common answer. I get when I ask that question, because I ask that question all the time on my show. Like, I work a lot right now. I don't have any amount of freedom in my life yet. I, I work, you know, 12-hour days. But I think that I, I have the goal. I have the end goal of being more free. And by free, I don't mean not working. I just mean working on only things that I enjoy working on. And I don't think I would ever want to stop working. Because I think, honestly, I think that's when, maybe not day one, but I think that's when people, unfortunately, I think that's when they die. I think when they stop working, they stop having anything to live for. I see people who stop working, who retire, deteriorate so quickly. It may be physically, it may be mentally, but I see them deteriorate. And I think that the way that we've set up the system of work and then look forward to never working again, and then you know we shut off at 60, 70, 80, whatever that is, and we just do nothing, I don't think that's a smart way to live our lives. I think it's important to have passions and to have purpose.
1: I heard you say on another podcast that you have paid for promoting your podcast by like buying followers in cheaper markets.
0: Mm -hmm, Yeah. This is a strategy that I learned from Brendan Kane, And he wrote the book called Million Followers or something like that, or a million followers. Anyways, the strategy is as follows. If you want to build a follower base, You can obviously do it with organic content, but you can also do it with paid ads. So what you can do is you can run a paid ad campaign. And when you run a paid ad ad campaign on Facebook or on Instagram, the campaign can be to follow you. It can be to actually follow you. That can be the call to action, the CTA, as part of the campaign. Now, generally, that's a very expensive thing to do if you're trying to get North American followers. Because if you're running a paid ads campaign, what you have to do is you have to, first of all, come up with the best possible version, like almost like a, a thesis of t- as to what your audience is, and then to run a campaign against that audience and hope that it converts. And usually you have to spend a lot of money to test whether or not that audience is the right audience. And you don't usually get it 100%, you know, the first time. So what you can do is you can run a campaign against smaller markets. This is getting a little bit more like tactical marketing. So I hope that's okay. But you can run a a paid ad campaign against smaller or less expensive markets, meaning anywhere in the Middle East, it costs less to basically get your ad in front of more people. So what you can do is you can test your campaigns against cheaper countries. And I can gain a follower in a cheaper market for about one cent per follower. If I'm running a paid campaign, if I optimize the campaign, now I can either keep that running and get a one cent per follower conversion, or what I can do is I can take the learnings and the data from those campaigns, and then I can use them to basically inform my North American campaign and really drive down the cost of my paid ads in North America. The other part of that strategy is there hasn't been a day in roughly three plus years where I haven't been running paid campaigns. I constantly run paid campaigns. Now, sometimes it's for a desired business objective. Like sometimes it's to swipe up and listen to an episode of a podcast, but sometimes it's just to follow me because the thesis is even for a dollar a day, you're still getting in front of a couple hundred people that would have never seen you before. You're not, you want to talk about like entrepreneurial lessons and, yeah. and, and longevity and sustainability in your side hustle. Well, the reason why I can do that and I didn't have to worry as much about you know, like nickel and diming for 500 bucks for 10 shows is because I kept the job. Like I did that on purpose. Yeah. Could I have just jumped in and just, you know, been eating into my city? Yes, I could have. So what could have happened? Well, if I didn't close those sponsorships, then all of a sudden now I need to go get a job and now I'm depressed and now I have to kill my side hustle and my podcast, right? Because I didn't, because in my mind, it didn't succeed. And that's why people fail. So when I say do anything for 10 years and you'll succeed, it's because Don't put yourself in a position where you're forcing yourself to quit. That's where a lot of people have the wrong version of entrepreneurship in their head. And they feel like they have to go all in. My position is build systems and processes that allow you to build a side hustle while maintaining a job so that you do not stress about money from your side hustle. Make money from your side hustle, but don't stress about it. And if you don't stress about it and you continue it on for long enough, there's a very good chance that it will be successful.
1: I want to talk about your most current success of like your nine to five, the company that you're at, you Mm -hmm. helped, you know, you witnessed them becoming acquired, right?
0: Mm -hmm. So the company was just acquired about a month ago now. So that was exciting. It's the second company that I've been working at that has gone through an exit event. Obviously it was great for the team, for the founder. We did two things really well. The company is a, was a, mostly a self-serve software company. So we doubled down on on demand generation, basically content marketing and paid ads to drive traffic towards the self-serve portion of the business. There's like a regular SaaS product or software product where people can sign up on their own. They don't talk to anybody. But then I also helped the company move up market and sell to larger enterprises and larger businesses. So to sell larger solutions. And we did that for two years.
1: I want to know who has told you no.
0: I would say, so in a sales context, people tell me no all the time, but it's sales, which is, it's part of the job. In a podcasting context, I usually get two versions of no. I either get a no, I'm too busy and we'll reschedule in the future, which is actually quite, usually quite honest. Like they're, they're usually just too busy or I just won't get a response, which is a no. I think in like the first 15 episodes, I had Guy Kawasaki, Anthony Scaramucci, and Grant Cardone. But that's in the first 15 episodes. Like that was very early for the traditional podcast guest booking life cycle. I just asked because what's the worst they can say? They can say no. And I guess coming from a back, you know, you mentioned something before that was interesting. You said how you got your girlfriend was like funny because that's how you, you sell. I think everything I do comes from having a sales background and just understanding that if you don't ask, you don't get. And that is the number one thing that, you know, if anybody could take anything away from this talk, like just do more, take more action, ask for more help. And you'll be amazed at how your life will turn around.
1: Have you asked her to marry you yet?
0: No, not yet. Well, because I want to do a proposal, like a nice proposal.
1: That's cool. So is there anything that you would like to ask my dad?
0: He's had a long life. He's had a successful life. And I wanted to ask him the question I ask everyone on my show, if that's okay. So I wanted to ask him what success means to him.
1: That's very on brand.
0: Yeah, I thought so. But I also thought it was good.
1: I like it. I like it. What's really funny is I heard you say that you, you know, over-prepare for your interviews.
0: I try. I didn't I didn't overprepare for this one at all. When I do them on my show, I try and overprepare. The CEO of Taco Bell, I was listening to your episode with him. And I kind of just get a vibe for the general conversation, but I don't I try not to overprepare because I feel like if I overprepare, then if you listen to like more than one podcast with me, you, you like you get like a talk track of like everything I've done, which you kind of already get anyways, because like I've only done so much stuff and I only talk about so many things. But I mean, I still try and like keep it like a little bit organic.
1: Yeah. Okay. So give me your like 15 years of your career in two minutes thing in case I missed any of that.
0: Okay. Started off in sales, moved through different markets and sales. So started off in retail sales and a telco company. Moved to small, mid, and then enterprise sales. Moved into sales leadership and then moved into sales and marketing leadership. Left working for a company, was doing consulting on my own, working with startups for about three years. That was like my first entrepreneurial venture. We didn't really set up that agency well because we were working way too hard and we were really trading like dollars for hours. And it was a lot of, it was really stressful. But that was our first foray. It was me and two other partners and then left that and then joined Excitum, which exited into Grass Valley, which is the most recent company I was working at. I also wanted to, I wanted to build my own brand and do my own thing. So I knew that I wanted to work for somebody, which is generally a little less stressful than working entirely for yourself while building out my own brand.
1: Is there anything that you would like to expand into that you're not currently doing?
0: Yeah, I love, and I am relatively good at scaling companies. So taking an early stage company and growing it. I would like to be almost like an operating VC partner for companies. So taking early stage companies that have a lot of potential, have a great founding team and not only investing money, but investing some of my knowledge and expertise in growing and scaling into these companies hopefully positively impacting their success rate.
1: Awesome. Okay. Let people know how they can find your podcast, connect with you, subscribe to your newsletter, all the good stuff.
0: I have a website. You can go to scottdclary.com. You can check the podcast at successstorypodcast.com or you can subscribe to the newsletter that teaches you sales and marketing stuff at uh, newsletter.roioverload.com. And I'll plug social because every social is at Scott D. Clary. So I did that on purpose. So that's really super, super simple to find me.
1: All right. Have a good night.
0: All right. Have a good night.
1: Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa.
2: This is a very interesting episode you had, and the timing couldn't be any better after our earlier conversation. What Scott Clary is doing is giving you an idea that part of his being, part of his essence is his podcast. And it's really being able to have his own brand to keep some of the pressure off of himself. Why a lot of podcasts fail is because obviously everyone is trying to monetize. If you're running a show, are you going to put that kind of effort in it because it becomes not only your expression, but it becomes like a job. But if it's not a job where you have to have the money and you can keep your day job and use this as a side hustle, what happens? You can actually have them interact, and it can help do both, where it's good for your business, it's good for your own self-being and self-worth and expression. Isn't that what your podcast correlates as well, is that you have a message just as, he, as his message is, is that you're trying to give people a voice, but also where there's lessons and wisdom that can be developed from it, where you're actually helping teach people and giving other people a platform to express themselves the same way he's been able to get business in his marketing and his sales where they become intermingled and you're able to do the same thing you're able to use your podcast and your marketing skills and your internet skills to not only help yourself with your show but also where you're able to do this for others and where you're able to have other resources where you don't have the pressure to have the show be its entire entity and have to be financially supportive of it or it fails. And this is the other interesting part of this story is that people give up or get frustrated or quit because just like anything in life, you have to continue to work at it. You have to continue to nurture it and put in the time and effort to see the thing grow and progress. You, you can't rest on your laurels. It needs constant attention and work if you want to have The kind of progression in life on anything and isn't that an interesting question what is success is it how much money you make or is it your progression and development and being able to ascertain that wisdom rating that we've talked about before where you actually become more knowledgeable more progressive in your thinking and more understanding where you're able to actually be a light or an example to the world and yourself, and your family, and the people around you that you really care about. Isn't that really what success is about?
1: See why you're my co-host? See why I picked you to do this with me?
2: Pretty good. You got a pretty good sidekick here. And this is why your show is important, and why you spend the time and effort in it, because it makes you who you are.
1: Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts,
0: one data source for everyone. through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash That's netsuite.com slash Clary.